scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We just thank you so much for the gift and the blessing and the joy to be gathered here this morning to engage in fellowship and to worship. We just uh, pray that our time would be continue to be honoring unto you. We pray that you'd be past, with Pastor Jeff as he brings the message this morning, that his words would be your words, that our hearts would be softened, softened, and your truths would uh, both convict and edify us this morning, Lord. It's in Christ now we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, Al. Appreciate you. I get the privilege of meeting with Alan about every other week, and uh, we're coaching and mentoring, and I, I just so appreciate that, brother. So glad to have the men on the elder board that, that we have, and uh, uh, guys, you have no idea just uh, what a joy it is to just serve with them. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 28. At the end of the message, we'll be more in Matthew 28, starting with verses uh, 18, 19 there. Um, I want to welcome all of you to CCC. For those of you who are new or relatively new here, I want to thank you for showing up. Thank you for coming here and, uh, and just personally say, say welcome. For those of you who are regular attenders, members or regular attenders, I want to also thank you for being here. It is great to see every one of your faces uh, and so last week, if you recall, we talked about the various challenges and the various opportunities as a church that we will likely face in the coming year and the coming years. Uh, this week, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit, and we're going to talk about our mission. So what is the actual mission of Christ Community Church? Now, I brought something today that I want to sell you. I brought something I want to sell you. It's backstage, and it is a wonderful well-made tripod. It's a camera tripod. You can put all your most expensive cameras on this tripod. Your DSLRs, your $1,000 iPhone 13, uh, your video cameras. It's great. It's really sturdy. It's made of kind of like titanium. I don't know what it's made of, but boy, it's really sturdy. Uh, it has these great telescopic legs. It has a great action on it. Like it's very, very fluid. It only has one problem. The only problem that it has is that it only, it's missing a leg. It's going for $180. Anybody want that? Is there a market? Yeah. There could be no auction for such a thing. Because there is no market for a two-legged tripod or a two-legged stool. They just don't sell them. And in the same way, I don't think anyone in the church today should buy a mission statement that only has one or two things out of the Great Commission. What I'm going to be arguing for today is that there are essentially three things in the Great Commission, three pillars of our mission that I'm going to share with you today, and I think they ought to be a part of every single mission statement of every church across America. If you would, get the memo out, please. So today, I'm going to talk to you about our upward, inward, outward mission. 
our upward, inward, outward mission. And this is the mission that God has given Christ Community Church uh, to fulfill in this county, in this city, and really in the world. So let's talk about that first directional parameter. And if you want to follow along, you can open up your bulletin there. My outline is right there. You can just follow along and fill in some blanks. That'll help you. Uh, our upward, the upward plank or pillar of our mission is that we are called to make disciples who gather to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, that passage comes out of John chapter 4. And if you want to read that story, it's about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And Jesus and the Samaritan woman Jesus has to explain to her, true worship is not tied to someone's temple. It's not tied to someone's uh, shrine. True worship is worshiping in spirit and in truth. So just, this was Jesus' answer to her question about where we should worship. So what do we mean when we talk about Worship, And I think it is important for us to understand that our vertical relationship with God is just that. Everything we do in the Christian life is in that rubric. It's under that one umbrella term of worship. So whether you're serving or whether you're teaching or whether you're just praying or, what, or reading the word or whatever you're doing, that is an act of our devotion and worship. But the Old Testament and the New Testament use this term or use this idea of worship with a particular word, with a particular word, and it is the word hallel, the word hallel. And that is really a compound Hebrew term. It's made up of two words, one meaning how, or uh, the idea of triumphantly declaring, and the other one is el, God. That's the Old Testament word for God. And so what do we mean when we're talking about praising God with a triumphant voice? Now, if you take that word, Hallel, and you add the word Yahweh to it, which is God's formal name, you have the word Hallelujah. And so the word Hallelujah means to praise God with a triumphant voice. That is, the God who is Yahweh. That's what it means. And so our worship to God, that vertical relationship, that upward relationship that we have is made possible essentially by God. Our worship is made possible by God revealing himself to us. You and I would not be able to worship God at all if God had not taken the initiative to reveal himself to us. We wouldn't be able to do it. And our worship is made possible by a command. God has actually commanded us to worship him. And this word hallel or hallelujah really encapsulates our praise to the Lord. So what do we mean by worship? Worship is our response to the self-revelation of the triune God. It is our response to the self-revelation of the triune God as we minister to God through obedience and praise. Now, we don't normally think of ministry as Godward. We typically talk of ministry as a horizontal relationship. But if you look at the Old Testament, what you'll find is that the priest was actually a minister before God. Like when he was in the temple, the priest was a minister to God. That is to say, to bring God the ministry, and then he, his ministry to people was to mediate between people and God. And so God has called all believers to be priests. God has called, called all of us to be saints, and our worship is a ministry to bring the praises that are worthy of God to him. And secondly, we minister to each other by celebrating the glory, the grace, and the goodness of God. 
So we celebrate the glory, the grace, and the goodness of God. Have you ever wondered why in Colossians 3 or Ephesians 5 when it says to, to sing, when you come together, we're to sing and, and make melody as we sing to God hymns, songs, and spiritual hymns, and we sing them to one another. What does it mean to sing the songs to one another? When we sing collectively about God, we're encouraging one another about the goodness and the grace and the love of our God. And then we declare his praises to the nations. Personally, I believe that a vigorous, lively, congregational singing atmosphere where people are worshiping God with their hearts, full-throated worship to the Lord, I believe that's one of the greatest witnesses to lost people in the world today. Years back when I was an associate uh, pastor, I was sent to a conference in the Chicago, Illinois area, and at that conference was a very large, sort of cutting-edge church. Probably at the time, it was the largest church in America. And as such, they would have these yearly sort of creative arts conferences. And back then, I was the worship and creative arts pastor. So I was actually responsible in my church for lots of hijinks in our church and uh, on a Sunday morning. And so I would go to this conference every year. And one of the things that was, that was unique about that particular church is that they did not have any congregational singing in their worship service. So they really landed on this third idea here. We declare his praises to the nations. What they wanted to do is they wanted to put together a perfect, I mean perfect, professional musical experience where they presented the gospel in their musical numbers, right, Uh, because they assumed that there were unsaved people, unchurched people sitting out in their congregation, and they didn't want to offend them with worshiping songs. And I just think that's absolutely wrongheaded. You would agree, right? Yes, that's why you're here. And, uh, and they did too. Actually, eventually within a decade, they, they uh, got rid of that because they realized that if they brought congregational singing in to their church and they worshiped the Lord through singing, many more people gave their lives to Jesus because worship is a witness. There is no greater evidence for God than God himself. And God says, I inhabit the praises of my people. And so when you and I come here collectively, one of the greatest things we can do to be a witness to those around us is to lift high the praises of the Lord. So our first purpose of being a church is upward, is to love God above all else, to worship him with all that we are, to declare his praises to the nations. Secondly, it is inward. Second directional parameter is that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you that a healthy church consists of healthy individuals. A healthy church is made up of healthy people, of healthy individuals. Now, if you are here this morning and you don't feel particularly healthy in an area of your life, it could be emotionally, it could be physically, it could be uh, mentally, It could be some aspect of your life. I want to tell you, Christ Community Church is a grace place. Christ Community Church is a safe place for you to come and experience the grace and the love and the mercy of God as you are sanctified into the image of Christ. So you don't have to be perfect to attend this church. That's what I'm trying to tell you. However, I will say this. Having said that, a healthy church consists of individuals within the church 
a, a larger proportion of those individuals being healthy people in the areas that I'm going to give you. Now, I was tempted to just sort of cover some, some classes or some small groups or things like that, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk a little bit more about you being a healthy person, you being a, a spiritually, mentally, physically, just all-around whole person in Christ. Now, notice Leviticus 19.18. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. This is God's solemn declare. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the rabbis came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment in the Torah? Like, what is the greatest commandment in the Old Testament law? And Jesus, they all know what the answer is. The answer is the one we read in the previous point, which is Deuteronomy 6.4. You shall love the Lord your God with all that you are. But then Jesus adds a second. He says, this one is second, and it's a close second. Watch. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first command, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. So what is he saying? He said there are only two categories. One category is loving God supremely above all with all that you are. And the other category is loving people like you would love yourself in the same way that you would love yourself, which means to esteem their needs as high priority as your own. Now, that's a very high bar, because I don't think I care about any of your needs as much as I did mine this morning. I didn't come over and read your Bible and dress you and get your coffee. I didn't do that, right? And so we are called to love others in, a, in like manner as we love ourselves. And so how do we obey this? How do we love ourselves? How do you love yourself? I want to show you how. We need to pay attention to the life of the mind. Pay attention to the life of the mind. Pay attention to what your mind is dwelling on, to what our minds ruminate on. Over and over, the Scripture tells us to renew our minds. The Scripture tells us to set our minds on things above, to set our minds on things of the Spirit instead of things of the flesh. The Scripture tells us to be united in mind, to be of like mind with each other. You may not believe this, but every person in this room, every person that's listening to me now, and every person watching by live stream, you have a mind. Sometimes you don't feel like you do. Sometimes you feel like you're out of your mind. Sometimes you feel like you've lost it, or it's broken. Your memory fails you, but you have a life of the mind, and you have an intellect. Whether you believe it or not, you are an intellectual. And there are different kinds of intellectuals. Some people are academic intellectuals. They like to study, and they like to get degrees, and they like to dig into journal articles and research stuff, and I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> but that's not the only kind of intellectual. Some people are organic intellectuals. They don't have any degrees. They don't have a pedigree. But, but they're really smart people, and when you talk to them, you get a sense, man, this person is really sharp. This person is a really sharp, self-educated person with a voracious, curious hunger for knowledge. And some of you are skilled, or what I would call artisan intellectuals. You're craftsman intellectuals. You, you, you don't have a lot of degrees behind your name, necessarily. You don't sit there and read journal articles for fun, you know, in, in PubMed or whatever, or ProQuest. But you don't do that. But you do have a strong intellect. If I put something that's broken in front of you, you just know how to fix it. Somehow, your mind just works that way. My dad was like that. He just would look at something like a car engine and would just kind of know how it all went together and fix it. Some of you are like that. And some of you are what I would call sagacious intellectuals. What is a sagacious 
intellectuals, just a person who's just wise. They're, just, they, they're able to give you wise, sage advice, and they have not necessarily gone through a lot of training. They don't have a lot of letters behind their name, and I think of my mom. I can't tell you how many times I've just been sitting on the phone and just talking with her, and some bit of wisdom just comes through the phone, and her southern wisdom, she's just a, she's a sage. She's, she has that kind of intellectual life. Whether you believe it or not, you are an intellectual. And the Bible has called us to cultivate the life of the mind. The Bible has called us to be careful what we use our minds for, to be careful how we dwell, to be careful what we study. Uh, Philippians 1.9 says this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Do you see this, this balance in the Christian life? Paul said, I want you to overflow in your love for others, but I also want you to grow in your knowledge. I want you to grow in your depth of insight in God's truth. And when you put those two things together, you have a, a person who has a healthy, healthy heart. Next is we take care of our emotional health, our emotional life. God created you to be an emotional being. He gave you the capacity to love and be angry. He gave you the capacity to feel pain and feel joy. And God wants us to bring him our emotional self, our emotional inner life, especially when emotions are going wrong, especially when things are going awry. If your heart is broken, I'll just give you one example. If your heart is broken, God wants to heal your heart. God wants you to bring him your broken heart because he cares for you. This is what Peter tells us. Cast your cares on the Lord. Do you cast your cares on the Lord? He doesn't say deny that you have cares. He says cast your cares on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Psalm 147 verse 3 says this. He, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Do you know that God cares about your wounds? He cares about your broken heart and that he longs to heal your heart. God made that heart. He knows how it works best. And God is a fixer. He likes to fix stuff. And Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this, don't be anxious about anything. This is a critical passage, folks. Memorize where this is. Go to it time and time again. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses and transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, do you want your mind guarded? I, I quote this passage often in my sermons and in my life because I go to it often. I have two or three times during the year where anxiety just washes over me. And I'll tell you the truth right now, it's involuntary. I mean, I want to obey this passage. I do obey this passage, but here's how I obey it. When anxiety comes into my life, comes rushing over me, I have to take it to the Lord. And it's usually right around the time when Carrie or myself go through uh, ultrasound. Uh, uh, last year, she had her ultrasound to see if her cancer had come back. Praise God it hadn't. But during those few weeks in there, I just wake up with th this paralyzing anxiety. And this is what I have to do. I have to pray through it. The same is true for me. I go through a yearly ultrasound. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I had half of my thyroid removed, the left hemisphere, uh, because of cancer. And now once a year, I go through an ultrasound over at Teton Radiology, uh, and they just kind of look to see if anything's came back. And this year, I did it stupidly at the end of December. Never do that. 
because then everything shuts down and you have to wait for weeks. And I'm just sitting there going, what's going on, you know? And I'm just too busy to ruminate on it. I'm too busy to think about it. But then I find myself at two in the morning just waking up out of a dead sleep with anxiety just washing over me. And what do I have to do? When that comes into my life, I take it to the Lord by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Never leave out the gratitude. And I pray through it. I bring it before the Lord. I tell the Lord what I want. Lord, I just want this to pass. I just want this to wash over me and wash out. And thank you so much for this beautiful wife. And thank you so much for another day to preach the gospel. And thank you so much for these beautiful, amazing kids who don't like me anymore. You know, like, thank you so much for my children. And thank you so much for this church, this great church. And as I just begin to pray and offer the Lord my heart and pray through it, with thanksgiving, the peace of God does what? It comes washing over me because, and I don't understand it. It transcends human understanding, but it does. It works. And so, folks, you need to take care of your emotional self. Bring it to the Lord. And we take care of our bodies, which the Bible calls living temples, living sacrifices. The New Testament uses both of these pictures to describe who and what we are. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this, Do you not know that your bodies, your physical bodies, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, and you are not your own, and you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. If you go back and look at the context, the Corinthian men were just, they were messed up. They were doing things for sure that they should not have been doing. They were defiling the marriage bed. And what Paul has to say to them is this, your body is not your body. It's God's. God has taken it and he has consecrated it and it's a living temple. You're a walking, talking temple because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on you and he lives in you. So how, so how can we defile the temple? He says, no. A temple is any sacred space that God has ordained for his manifest presence to dwell. And God has ordained that he dwells in you. And God has ordained that he dwells in this local assembly when we gather together as individual believers. So we must take care of our physical selves as well. And then lastly, we show others the same grace and care and concern that Christ showed us. And so as you love yourself, as you're becoming a healthy person, a whole person in the gospel and in the Lord, then you and I can minister the life and the grace and the truth of Jesus to others. Listen, this is true. You are able to minister to others. Your ability to minister the love and grace and truth of Jesus to others is directly proportional to how much you have received it and how much you have grown in it. It's directly in proportion to your own growth in it. And now we're called to love others. Show them the love. Show them God's care and his concern and his mercy and his compassion. Number three, the third directional word here is outward. And so we go into the world proclaiming the good news. Jesus himself authorized the church to make disciples. And I want to show you this something, a couple of things that, that's in the Great Commission today and I don't think I've heard anyone ever pre preach these things in their Great Commission sermon. I've, I've not heard anybody mention these two things. They almost always, I would say, always get missed. And I want to show them to you. 
says in verse, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came near and said to them, now where is he? He's in Galilee, he's on the mount. Now that book, Matthew, starts on the mount. Jesus starts his ministry, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And so now he's commanding them to go back to Galilee from Jerusalem, go all the way up north, meet me on that mount. And then he appears to them and he came near them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, which is the justifiable imperative. The imperative is justified by this. I'm telling you in authority, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. There's some stuff we got to focus on here. When we talk about going outward, when we talk about the Great Commission, we can't miss these things. And the first one is this, the word authority. It's the word authority. Notice that the church has been given the authority by God to make disciples. Now, Jesus says all authority in his resurrected state. He says all authority has been given to me. And now I'm authorizing you to go out wherever you can and make disciples of all nations. The word nations is the word ethne, and it means ethnic groups. It means all people groups. Go out there and make disciples of all people groups. Look how the writer of Hebrews said it, Hebrews 2.8. It says, for in subjecting everything to him, that is Christ, God has left nothing that is not subject to, to him, Christ. As it is, we do not yet see everything subject to him. That is true. Now listen, the whole point of Jesus being exalted above the authorities, the rulers, and the powers of this world is to say that the kingdom of God has no geographical barriers, it has no geographical borders. I mean, take that in. It has no geographical barriers. It has no geographical borders. You can't point to it and say, look, the kingdom of God is over there in Texas. I know they believe that, <laughs> right? The kingdom of God is not over there in Maryland. No, the kingdom of God has no boundaries, no borders. The kingdom of God is wherever the temple of God, whoever the people of God who have received the spirit of God are. And what Jesus is essentially saying is this. There is no kingdom. There is no country. There is no place on earth, there is no system that could possibly legislate against you and stop you from proclaiming this gospel. And if you think there are, just go have a talk with Rome. Just go ask Caesar, the Caesars if they thought their plan worked, because it didn't. And so countries, nation states are authorized and ordained by God to govern their people and to set up laws that govern their people and keep them in order in order. But when they make laws against the church, like Russia or China or certain countries in the Middle East, when they legislate against the Christian church, they need to understand that is actually out of the scope of their responsibility. Because the risen Lord who has received all authority in heaven and on earth has authorized his church to go and preach the gospel and tell the truth and proclaim this amazing grace, this amazing message of salvation. And so we have been authorized by our king. The second word here is the participle going. Going. It, it should be translated as you go or in going. It's a participle. And so we make disciples by going. He says, therefore, go. The church is by nature a going, sending, missional enterprise. The church is, as to its very nature, what is in our DNA is that we're a going organization. 
That's how Jesus built us. That's how we're made. And so we learned last year in the book of Acts that sometimes they didn't want to go. And when they didn't go, what did God do? He allowed persecution to come into their lives. So persecution came into their lives, and what it did is it forced them out. It forced them to go because sometimes in their success, as thousands of people locally were coming to faith, they just sat back and thought, this is working, this is great. Let's just chill, let's relax, let's enjoy life. And God comes in and says, no, I told you to go. And by his sovereignty, he, he sends them out. And so they're to go. And we are too. God has called us to get outside of our cubicles, to get outside of our church walls, to get outside and to go and to share the love and the grace of Jesus and the truth of Jesus with the people outside of our walls. The third word here is baptizing. Baptizing. We make disciples by baptizing people. The Holy Spirit baptizes them in the Spirit, and we baptize them symbolically into water. We bring them as a seal. We seal them into the community, and that baptism signifies the work that the Spirit is doing at a heart level, and they are testifying. They are bearing witness to the community. We belong to Christ. I belong to Christ, and I belong to this family. I belong to this body. And so we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. Paul put it this way, Romans 6, 3 through 4. He says, are, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore we are buried with him uh, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of of the Father, so we too may also be raised and walk in the newness of life. And so actually he's using that as a figure of speech. He's saying, you, you consider this, you've been baptized into Christ's death, dead to sin, raised to life with Christ to walk in the newness of life. This is what baptism signifies. And teaching. We must teach people to know Christ's teaching and to obey what they learn. And this is that piece that almost always gets missed in a lot of churches who present the mission as just about going, just about witnessing, or just about proclaiming the gospel. Yes, it is, but we're called to make disciples who obey Christ's teaching. And what did Christ command? He said, love God supremely above all, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And everything in the scriptures fits into one of those two categories of things. And so right here at the end of this verse where he says, teaching them to, to obey everything that I've commanded you, the great commandment is in the great commission. This is why it takes these three pillars to make a full, complete mission statement. We are to love God upwardly. Our vertical relationship with the Lord is to be a vigorous culture of worship, a vigorous lifestyle of worship. Our horizontal relationships and our inward care, self-care, soul care, mind care, body care. And then our outgoing mission to those around us. Colossians 1.28, Paul says this. He says, we proclaim him, Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So our, a part of our mission is to teach people to obey so that they become more like Christ and grow up in Christ so that as a church we can present on the day of judgment, this is the congregation we led. These are the people we led and we present them to the Lord 
as mature. And so this commission, this mission, it really presents us with more opportunities. Let me give you three more. The first one is this. Pray for the church, local and global. Let me ask you a question. How, how often in your prayer life do you pray for the church? How often do you pray for the body of Christ here in this town and also globally? Do you know in uh, 2017, there was an anti-evangelization law passed by Putin or signed by Putin into law in Russia. And he has been very, very aggressive at getting rid of cults and getting rid of movements that he doesn't particularly like if they proselytize a lot, if they, if they evangelize a lot. But over the last couple of years, things have been softening somewhat. The Russian Union of Evangelical Christian Baptists have invited Franklin Graham to come on June or July the 9th and 10th. July 9th and 10th, he is going to be presenting a gospel message at this, in St. Petersburg at the Ice Palace or whatever it's called. And they're anticipating, they're hoping that 15,000, almost 15,000 Russians will show up to hear the gospel. Will you pray for that? Would that be amazing if this is the year that a, an outbreak of the gospel started there that they could not control? Wouldn't it be great if there is just, if the gospel began to spread like wildfire, that a great awakening came to their shores because Franklin Graham was invited to come and preach at the ice castle or whatever it is and preach the good news of Jesus and people's hearts were changed one person at a time. Will you pray for that? Will you pray for our community here? Will you pray for Idaho Falls? Pray for the people every Sunday morning who are, who are not going anywhere to church, or maybe they are, but they don't know Jesus. They don't know Christ. Their lives have not been fundamentally changed by the good news and the grace and the love of Jesus. Would you pray for them? Prayer is, prayer is our weapon, folks. We need to pray. And then our second opportunity is to become witnesses. Witness through the gracious example of telling your story. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Whenever I get into an argument, or it's, it's always an unintentional argument, but somebody wants to share like their end times theory with me. Um, what you're like, it is an immediate argument. It is, yeah. So we're always, we get in this discussion about like their end times theory, and they're wondering why I don't preach it on a Sunday morning, usually because I don't agree with them. But I always try to take them to this passage. This is in Matthew 24. I know that passage really well. And I try to take them to that passage where Jesus says this. He says, And you will be, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. You will be my witnesses, and all the nations you will testify to it, then the end will come. Listen, don't try to hasten the end of the world or Jesus is coming until we've done our job. Until we've taken this gospel to the 3,500 people groups in the world today who have never heard it, who don't have access to it. So we have an opportunity to testify, to witness. And listen, telling your story, you may not have some, some horrendous account of conversion. You know, some of you may be thinking, what story? I don't have a story. You want me to tell them that I, I got baptized when I was five? You know, <laughs> that I was raised in the church my whole life? Yeah, tell them that. What a great story. I'd rather have your story than mine. But tell them about the grace and the love of Jesus. Just share it. Just share, with the, share the truth 
of how Jesus has changed your heart and how his forgiveness has made all the difference in your life. Be a witness. Third opportunity is consider starting a neighborhood discovery Bible study. What do we mean by this? Well, a lot of you have Bible studies in small groups, and, and we love you, and we love you for doing that, and we love those groups. But a discovery Bible study is something like this. It's a type of study that is a mix of Christians and non-Christians, or maybe some even people who even think they're Christians. And what they do is they, they come to the Bible study to study the Bible because they're interested in the Bible. And what, it, what ends up happening is the Word of God becomes the seed that is sown into the heart that changes the life of the person who is there. And listen, if you don't know how to do it, we have people in our church that do this, and they can help you with it. But there are ways to invite people to your Bible study. Now, you may be thinking, why in the world would an unsaved person, a non-Christian person, ever come to my Bible study? Did you know statistically that the majority of people who profess no faith at all say they would like to know more about the Bible? Every time that's, that survey is done, every year that survey is done by Gallup or whoever, it always shows that people have a high interest in learning about the Bible. Let them learn in your house, in your living room. If you don't feel equipped, you can attend this group right here. The gospel comes with a house key. Who's teaching that? Yes, the Randalls. Yes. The gospel comes with a house key. Attend that class. Learn how through hospitality to invite people into your home and to share the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus. This is what we do, folks. This is who we are. And God has called us to be an upward, inward, outward church. Those are the three marks of health. Those are the three marks of a whole mission for Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this word which excites us. It's exciting, and this mission that you've put us on, Lord, we, we are so grateful for it. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us to proclaim the good news in our community, in, our, in the families in this community, in the workplaces here, that you would enable us and give us, open up opportunities, help us to be responsive, responsive to those opportunities. And God, we pray for the people in our city and in our counties in this area, we pray that their hearts would be open to the truth. We pray that God's word, when it is sown into their heart, would just be begin to break up fallow ground and that it would take deep root and that it would begin to grow and produce the kingdom's fruit. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And we pray that as we continue to be faithful, to worship you, to grow, to take care of the life of our mind, both individually and congregationally, as we continue to challenge believers to go out into the world and proclaim the good news of Christ's love and his grace, we just pray that you would help us to be effective, Lord. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, today. Would you surrender your heart and your life to Christ in this moment? who died for you on a cross so that your sins could be washed away, so that your sins could be forgiven, and who rose on the third day to be victorious over sin, death, and hell for you. Will you embrace it? Will you believe it? You say, yes, I believe it. I believe that, Lord. That message is for me. 
Father, as a church, we want to lift up the world. We want to lift up our brothers and sisters in China. We want to pray for the Chinese government. We want to pray that they would have a change of heart and they would lose their, their hold on the citizens there. We want to pray that the gospel would flourish and go forth freely and just have a transformational impact on that society. We pray for the protection of all of those that we love and we pray for each and every day, Lord. We pray for them. And God, we lift up Russia. We lift up this Franklin Graham rally, God. We just pray that, that as he goes there and preaches the message that you would give him clarity, that you would help him speak clearly and that the gospel message would come through and it would be compelling and that people's hearts would change and they would believe and they would trust in you and that it would transform Russia. And we pray for America. We pray that every gospel preaching church in this land would proclaim it and be anointed by the Spirit and that there would begin to be a turn, a change in America from darkness to light. From falsehoods to the truth. And we just, we ask for revival for this generation and the next. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.